Good morning, everybody. Again, it's good to see you this morning. Do you have your Bible? Good. If you don't, grab one out of the pew in front of you. If you don't have one at all, consider that one yours and a gift from us. Open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Last week, looked at a very important passage where Paul invites us, God commands us to examine ourselves, to test ourselves, to see if we are in the faith, if Christ is really in us. It's a very important passage to look at, and we went from there to 1 John and some other places to look at what are some of those tests, what are some of those exams that are evidences of faith, evidences of Christ in us. We saw all of these things that if you really belong to Christ, these things will happen. If you really are in him and he in you, we will be able to tell by these things. I really tried to be careful last week, and I want to reiterate again that these things we talked about last week, these fruits of our faith, we need, to, we need to be careful not to uh, confuse fruits and roots. We, we need to be careful not to think that those external evidences are the heart of our salvation. No, the heart of our salvation, the root of our salvation is Jesus Christ. Amen? His person and his work on the cross and the empty tomb, as Jason talked about, he is not dead, he's alive, right? The only one, the only one who's like that, and we worship him today. The person and work of Christ is at the root of our salvation. Grace, unmerited favor, is at the root of our salvation. Faith, believing, trusting, depending on Jesus Christ and his work is at the root of our salvation. Amen to that? We don't want to mistake that. We are not saved by works of righteousness that we have done by his mercy, but by his mercy, right? Talked about that in Sunday school this morning. That's the root. That's the root of our salvation. That's the root of the gospel. And that root will necessarily produce fruit. Fruit like loving the brothers. Fruit like hating our sin. Fruit like a trajectory that is more godly, more Christ-like every day of our lives. Those are fruits and evidences that we are attached to the root. Does that make sense? Don't get this backwards. We're not teaching some kind of works-based salvation here. We are just teaching what the Bible says, that if there is real faith, it will manifest itself in work. It will manifest itself in fruit, okay? With me on that? Today is a huge day, a huge day at First Baptist Church. This is the very last message in 2 Corinthians. We started in 1 Corinthians on July 5th, 2011. Almost two years in these two books. And man, we've come a long way, haven't we? We have walked with this church in Corinth through some highs and some lows. We have walked with each other at First Baptist through some highs and some lows. And I got to tell you, as I was preparing this week, I'm, I'm emotional about this. And, and I feel like I can connect to some of you parents who have graduates. I feel like, feel like I'm sending this child of mine off into the world um, to, to live and to move on. We are going to move on from these truths that we have studied over the last two years. But we are not going to move away from these truths that we have studied over the last couple years. We want to constantly be building foundation to live our lives on. We want to constantly be knowing and understanding and applying more and more of Scripture. We are not going to set aside First and Second Corinthians and move on. We are going to simply move to a new book and a new study and bring First and Second Corinthians along with us. Okay? Fair enough? So this is it. Are you so excited? I am. I am totally pumped. Second Corinthians chapter... 13 verses 11 to 14, simple, simple stuff today. Look what he says. Finally, brethren, rejoice, be made complete, be comforted, be like-minded, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Let me read that again. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Let's pray together. 
God, thank you. Thank you for today as we look back over almost two years of your faithfulness and your truth and your teaching and your insight and your revelation. God, we are thankful to you today for how far you've brought us and all the things that you've taught us. And we ask that as we move forward today, you help us remember, help us apply, help us be obedient and submissive to your word. God, we pray even today as we study uh, this summary conclusion of this letter that you teach us, that you grow us, that you conform us more and more to the image of Christ who is our Savior, who is our Lord, and it is in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Don't you like that word in verse 11, finally? We've been waiting for this for so long. And, and here, unlike many preachers, Paul means it, right? A lot of preachers get to the middle of their message and they say, now finally or in conclusion, and they're only halfway done. Paul means it. This is it. Just a couple more sentences and he's going to wrap things up. And what Paul does here is pretty standard form. He is going to follow the standard form of the day for letters, which has a very formal conclusion. You wouldn't just write a letter in Paul's day and then just quit after you finished your last thought. No, you would come back and you would summarize things and you would draw it all up into a nice neat bow and you would say, oh, these guys greet you and we greet you and greet each other and kiss each other and all those things. All of this is very standard language for Paul's day. Very Christian language, though, as, as Paul uses it. And, uh, and there's a lot for us to learn. I think the tendency when we get to passages like this, either at the beginning or the end of an epistle, is just to fly right through them as if they're unimportant, as if they're just standard form. No, there's so much for us to learn today. So much for us to learn as Paul gives five final exhortations to the church at Corinth. So much for us to learn as he talks about the affection that we should have for one another as displayed in the Holy Kiss. And so much for us to learn about the Trinity. So much for us to learn about the redemption that is ours in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen? All right, so look at it in these verses. He says, finally, brethren, brethren, brethren is such an important word in this text. We've been on quite a journey with them. We've been on quite a journey with each other. And at the end of the day, at the end of the day, we're together, right? At the end of the day, through the highs and the lows, through the drama and the easy times, we're together, right? We are family. Do you remember way back at the beginning of our study of 2 Corinthians, we played that song? Doug, do you remember that? You, you in the middle of the message, downloaded We Are Family uh, and played it as we, as we dismissed. It's true, right? Highs and lows, we are family. We are connected. We have one Father, our God in heaven, right? And we are connected to each other, and we want to stay connected to each other. We want to dwell together as brothers in unity. We want to be tied to each other, hitched to each other, if you will, and live together in brotherly love. He gives five final exhortations after this. Finally, brethren. And then five commands he gives. And the first one is this. He says, rejoice. Rejoice. Again, at the end of the day, it might not have all been easy. It might not have all been sweet cake and roses. But we have every cause to rejoice, do we not? Even in our own lives, as we think back over the last two years, we've been through some difficult stuff, haven't we? We've been through a tornado, we've been through sickness, we've been through death, we've been through drama internally and externally. We've been through a lot. And at the end of the day, we have every reason to rejoice, right? Even on the worst of days, we who belong to Christ have every reason to rejoice. What more could we ask for than grace from God? What more could we ask for than forgiveness of our sins and eternal life with Christ for forever? What more could we ask for? We have every reason to rejoice. One commentator said it this way, Christian joy is not a giddy, superficial happiness that can be devastated by illness, economic difficulties, broken relationships, or countless other disappointments of life. Instead, it flows from the deep, 
unshakable confidence that God is eternally in control of every aspect of life for the good of his beloved children. A confidence rooted in the knowledge of his word. That's where we want to live, right? We don't want to live in some giddy, superficial happiness that, that comes and goes on a daily basis, on an hourly basis. We want deep-rooted theology, right? We want deep-rooted trust in Jesus Christ, who is in control of every aspect of life. Amen? So Paul says, at the end of all this, rejoice. You have every reason to rejoice. Can you imagine him saying this to Corinth, who has caused him so much trouble? He says, rejoice. Secondly, he says this. He says, rejoice. Be made complete. Other translations say aim for restoration or strive for full restoration. And this is so important. It's what much of this letter has been about, about restoration. The Corinthians being restored to God in their relationship with him. The Corinthians being restored to each other in their relationships horizontally. The Corinthians being restored to Paul and their relationship with him as pastor and apostle of that church. They needed restoration. And what he does here is he lays the responsibility for that restoration on them. He basically says, as he's going to with all of these commands, this isn't just going to happen. This kind of peace, this kind of restoration, this kind of joy doesn't just happen when you sit by and do nothing. He says, aim for it, shoot for it, pursue this kind of restoration. And if we want to see restoration in relationships, whether in this room or outside of this room, we will have to work toward that kind of restoration. And so Paul says, aim for it, shoot for it. Next, he says, be comforted or comfort one another or some translations say, encourage one another. And we need that, don't we? In the midst of life, with its ups and downs, we need comfort. We need encouragement from one another. And what a great what a great environment he has put us in to encourage one another. What a great family he has put us in to encourage one another in the difficult times and in the great times. Next, he says, be like-minded. Agree with one another or be of one mind. It's one of the main problems in the church at Corinth. They're just divided. They just fight against each other all the time, and they disagree with each other. Remember way back two years ago almost when he said, Listen, some of you say you're of Paul, some of you say you're of Apollos, some of you say you're of Cephas. You've got all these parties and all these factions going on within the church. Some of you even say, I am of Christ. He says, that's not the way it's supposed to work. We're supposed to be together. We're supposed to be together worshiping God, serving Christ. We're supposed to be together in all this. Don't be split apart, but be together. Be like-minded. Have one mind. Think the same things, Paul says, and that's what we want for First Baptist Church. He says, rejoice, be made complete. Be comforted, be like-minded, and then finally he says, live in peace. Aren't you thankful for peaceful moments? It's not always like that, is it? We, were, we had some family, friends, family over last night. We, we served 14, 15 people. You said, I just dished up 15 plates of food, right? And about two-thirds of that population were children under the age of 10. And so it was, it was really loud at my house last night. And uh, I was trying to get some stuff done for this morning, and so I went into a room to hide. And uh, it, w it was, it was kind of quiet in that room. And at one point, I went outside where the adults were. And it was just absolutely peaceful. It was just absolutely peaceful. They were outside on the porch swings, in the rocking chairs, just chatting it up and having a great time. They had sent all the kids inside where I was try trying to study. And I walked outside, and I said, what's going on? And they said, oh, just enjoying the peace. I'm like, oh, thanks a lot for the peace. <laughs> Those moments, though, at my house are rare, and, and I believe that those moments in all of our lives are rare, and so we cherish them, and we pursue those moments. In the church, unfortunately, sometimes those moments are rare, 
and we should cherish them, and we should pursue those moments. Paul gives the church at Corinth five final summary exhortations, five final summary commands, and he tells them to rejoice, be made complete, be comforted, be like-minded, and live in peace. These are all themes that he has developed, all themes that we have looked at over the last two years, and all themes that we need to take with us as we move on to a new study. Look what he says at the end of verse 11. Pretty interesting stuff. He says, finally, brethren, rejoice, be made complete, be comforted, be like-minded, live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Two ways to look at that. One way is that it's very conditional. If you be like-minded, if you encourage one another, if you do all these things, then the God of love and peace will be with you. That's one way to look at it, but I don't know that that's the best way to look at it. I would rather look at this, and I think it's more appropriate to look at this, as similar to the promise God has made all throughout Scripture when he has called people to very difficult tasks, right? God is, God is known to call someone out and say, hey, listen, I want you to do this impossible thing, right? And, and usually the person that's called out will say, I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't even talk right. I'm not strong. I'm not my, look at this bunch you've given me to work with. I can't do this. And what does God say to those objections almost every single time? What does he say? I'll be with you. I'll be with you. He says that to Abraham. He says that to Moses. He says that to Joshua. And guess what? He says that to us. He says that to us when he calls us to do the impossible, to take the gospel to the nations, to teach and baptize all kinds of folks from every nation, right? He calls us to this impossible thing, and what's he say at the end of it? And I'll be with you. I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. And that's what he says here, I believe, in the context of the local church. He says, listen, be mature, be complete, rejoice, be of like mind, live in peace, and you don't have to do this on your own. You don't have to pursue these things on your own. It's an impossible task that he has called us to. Look around. Look around at each other. Is this an easy group? <laughs> let, me, let me give you the answer to that. No. It's not an easy group. We come from different backgrounds. We have different preferences. We, we have different styles. We are different ages. We are different. And he has called us to live in unity and harmony, and it's impossible. It's impossible on our own. But he says to us, I'll be with you. I will help you. I will give you what you need to live the way I've called you to live. And that is a sweet, sweet promise when God says, when Paul says, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Right? That's what we're called to. And he gives us the strength to do it. Look at verse 12. This is fantastic. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I thought this morning about stopping at Walmart on my way in and buying just a bundle of breath mints and, and putting, putting them in every seat so that, you'd be, so that you'd be ready for this when this time came. And then I, I thought better of it and thought some of you wouldn't think it was a joke and, and you'd call somebody and tattle on me or something. Um, so I skipped that. And the point here is not the, the actual manifestation of the affection. The point here is the affection, right? You kiss somebody you don't like. How many of you married folks? How many of you are married? Here, here. Yeah, raise your hand. Married folks. You ever been in just a big... You okay? You ever been in a big fight with your spouse and then just try to kiss them? How'd that go? Not, not real well, right? When there is tension, when there is uh, animosity, when there is whatever kind of disruption, the physical affection is also disrupted, right? Don't need to elaborate any further on that, do we? 
You come on Sunday nights, we talk about that a lot on Sunday nights lately. Um, that physical affection that we would show to one another is disrupted when we're not living in peace and when we're not living in unity. And so what Paul does is right after he calls them to live in peace, to live in harmony, to live together by the strength of God, he says, greet one another with affection. Greet one another with loving family affection. Notice he, he adds the adjective that it's a holy kiss, right? It's not a passionate kiss. It's a holy kiss. It's a sign of affection. Now, if you know me at all, you, you know that this makes me very uncomfortable to talk, to think about this, to think about going out into this crowd and kissing people on the cheek. No way, right? Even hugs are uncomfortable for me. Uh, if you know me very well, I, I prefer the side hug, right? Kind of like a half hug. Even better, a handshake or maybe even better, fist bump, right? Um, whatever it is, though, whatever manifestation that affection takes, we need to have it here. We need to have it in this family. We need to be displaying our affection for one another with hugs, side or otherwise, or handshakes, or whatever it is. People need to be able to tell that we love each other. And we need to be able to tell when we're here that we are loved. Do you enjoy the time at the beginning of the service when we go around and shake hands? Some of you probably don't. Some of you may be more like me and it just makes you all nervous and who's going to touch me and what's it going to be like. Um, but it's, a, but it's a good thing, right, that we display that affection and we have that bond together. And that's what Paul is encouraging here, affection and love for one another. The kiss indicates a healthy relationship. So let us show affection to one another. We'll have some time to do that at the end. Look at verse 13. Verse 13 is very important. It's just a couple words and we could easily skip over it. He says, all the saints greet you. One of the things that he has done in this letter and the other letter, and all the letters, is that he has talked about the importance of the local congregation. And he has made specific application for the local church. That would be First Baptist Church in Harrisburg, if we were applying it to us. It would be this family, in this room, this body. But in these verses, he says, you need to remember, church at Corinth, and you need to remember, First Baptist Harrisburg, that you're not the only ones in this, in this matter. You are connected to something much bigger than First Baptist Church. You are connected to the global body of Christ. To brothers and sisters who have the same kind of faith in Jesus Christ, we are connected with them even though we've never met them. And we need to remember that. We need to remember that especially on a day when here in the United States we celebrate those who have given their lives for our freedom to gather together in this place, right? On this day we are excited that we don't gather under threat or persecution but we need to remember that we have brothers and sisters in other places on the planet that have never been able to do this and will never be able to do this until they get to heaven. And we need to remember them and we need to recognize our connection to them and we need to pray for them and support them every way we can. One of the best resources for our information about the persecuted church in the world is a, a ministry called Voice of the Martyrs. Uh, they have an excellent website, they produce an excellent magazine that's very informative about our brothers and sisters, our family, that are other places that are being persecuted today. More persecution of believers on the planet right now than ever before in the history of the world. We need to remember that we are connected to something bigger. Paul says, all the saints, all the saints greet you. And then in verse 14, Paul delivers what might be the best benediction in all of scripture. In fact, other traditions, other church traditions use this verse every week. Every week as they leave, somebody announces this blessing upon the people. Look what Paul says. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. 
That's happy, right? That is an amazing way to end a letter that has been through so much drama. Two big ideas in this benediction. One is it's Trinitarian. It's the only benediction that explicitly references all three persons of the Trinity, right? We've got the Father, we've got the Son, and we've got the Holy Spirit all mentioned overtly in these verses, in this one verse, right? The second thing you need to notice is that it's redemptive, that this benediction is redemptive, and it basically follows the process of redemption. Look what he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Grace comes first. If it were not for grace, we would have no hope. Grace comes first. And then he says, the love of God, which we know because of grace, right? Which we know God's love because of his grace. We know it in his grace. And then he says, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, this communion that we have with each other, this communion that we have with God, the Spirit dwells in us. That is the product of grace and love, the Holy Spirit, right? So this is like the whole process of salvation, grace and love and fellowship with God and with each other. It is a redemptive benediction that Paul gives to the people. And then he wishes it on them, right? He doesn't just talk about the Father, Son, and Spirit. He doesn't just talk about grace and love and fellowship. He says, it's what I want for you. I want that for you. You know, it's graduation season, and we want a lot of good things for our graduates, right? We want them to go on, and we want them to be happy. We want them to be healthy. We want them to have opportunities. We want a lot of things for a lot of people. I hope what you desire for everyone you know more than anything in the world is grace and love and fellowship that come from God. I hope that's your highest desire. I hope your highest desire for these graduates is not a job. It's not a family. It's not a, a, a good college to go to. I hope your greatest desire for them is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. I hope that's our desire, that that would be with them. That's my desire for you, that that would be with you. Four applications today and then we're done. We're done with 2 Corinthians after this. Number one, we need to remember that he is with us. We need to remember that he is with us as we seek to live together, serve together, and worship together. He is with us. He doesn't call us to this impossible task and not enable us to complete it, empower us to do it. He says, live like this, serve like this, worship like this, be together, and I'll be with you. I'll be with you, helping you every step of the way. We need to remember that. But we don't need to use his presence with us as an excuse to be lazy and indifferent and inactive. He is with us, so love each other. He is with us, so encourage each other. He is with us, so live at peace with one another. We need to remember he's with us as we seek to live together, serve together, and worship together. Application number two is all about affection. We need to show our love for one another. We need to show our love for one another. This is good for us. It's good for us to show that love for one another. It's good. Uncomfortable maybe to get a hug, but it's good. Handshakes are good. Fist bumps are good. All of these things are good. It is good for us to show our love for one another, and it is also good for the world to see us showing our love for one another. You know, there are, a lot, there are a lot of people in the world, and some of you teachers would amen this louder than anyone. There are a lot of people in the world who don't have anybody that loves them. They don't have anybody that loves them. You see this in little kids at schools. You see it in high school students. They feel like they don't have a single person that cares about them. They feel like they don't have anybody that's on their team, in their corner, has their back. They feel completely alone in the world. One of the best things we can do for a lot of people in the world today is love them. And one of the ways they will, they will be drawn to that is by seeing our love for each other. 
What if there's a kid, a high school student, who says, I don't have anybody that cares about me. And he sees our teenagers loving each other. He sees our church family loving each other and being affectionate toward one another. And he says, I want to be a part of that. I want to be part of that group because they love each other. And if I'm part of that group, they're going to love me. That would be a beautiful thing, wouldn't it? But they won't ever see that if we're not affectionate with one another. And I'm not advocating some over-the-top over false uh, physical affection. That's not what I'm getting at. I'm talking about genuine, real affection that is observable between each other. There are people in the world who have no love from anyone, and we need to show them what love, what family looks like. Affection. We need to show our love for one another. It's good for us, and it's good for the world. Number three is all about grace, love, and fellowship from God, right? All of this comes from God, from the Son, from the Father, from the Spirit. We don't make it up. We don't develop it. We don't grow it. It comes from Him as a gift. It is from Him and it's for us. Notice Paul is wishing that for them. All of this be to you, be to you. I want that for you. And you should want it for each other as well. There are lost people in this room. Lost people. Dead in their trespasses and sins. Far from God. In rebellion against him. Rejecting Christ as Lord and Savior. There are lost people in this room. My question is, what do you want for them? What do you want for them? I'll tell you what I want for them. I want grace for them, love for them, fellowship of the Holy Spirit for them. I want salvation for them, but I know only God can give it. Only God can open someone's eyes, as Jason talked about a minute ago. Only God can remove the veil and let a person see their need, their sin. Only God can show a person the reality of judgment against them because of their sin. And listen to this, only God can show them the beauty of the cross. Only God can show them that Jesus died for them. Only God can show a person that Jesus stepped in as their substitute and died the death that they deserve so that they might have life and hope and salvation and forgiveness of sins. God gives faith to believe. God gives a spirit of repentance to turn away from sin. God saves. Jesus saves. We sang about that last week, didn't we? Jesus saves. Jesus saves. He really does. Talked about that in adult Sunday school this morning, didn't you? He saved us, not according to works of righteousness done by our hands, but by his mercy. He saved us. Repent, believe in Christ, and be saved. Let's stand together and pray. God, thank you. Thank you for all of this, all of this that you have taught us today, all of this that you've taught us in two years, all that you're going to teach us. Thank you. Thank you that you are with us as we seek to live together and serve together and worship together. Thank you that we are family because you are our Father. Thank you for love that you have given us between each other. And I pray that you help us to display that affection for our good, for our encouragement, and for the good of the world that they would see love and affection between us because of the love and affection you have for us. And God, ultimately, always, we are thankful for grace and love and fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Thank you that these things come from you and are for us. Help us to desire the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and love of God and fellowship of the Holy Spirit for our neighbors and our friends and family. 
I pray today for the, the lost person in this room who doesn't know that they need you, God, to show them that they need you. They don't know that Christ died for their sins. God, teach them that Christ died for their sins. They don't know how to respond to that great truth. God, show them today how to respond to that great truth with faith, trust, and dependence on Christ alone as Savior. Repentance of sin and submission to your Lordship. God, show them how to respond and change their hearts forever. In Christ's name we pray.